Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest today, her name is Dr. Corey Basilari, and our topic is Orphaned at 19. Dr. Corey Basilari is a licensed psychologist with a private practice in San Francisco and is an assistant professor at the University of San Francisco. Corey's professional focus stems from her early personal losses. Corey's father died when she was only 14 after many years of cardiovascular illness. A few years later, the unimaginable happened. Her mother was diagnosed with lung cancer and died when Corey was just 19. Corey's clinical and research interests are in the area of chronic and terminal illness and coping. Corey's own losses only fortify her desire to support others through the most stressful times in their lives. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hello. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you on. Thank and, uh, you. We're being in the same city. <laughs> a beautiful weather, too. Well, Corey, tell us a little bit about, about your losses, and our audience are, are going to want to hear a little bit about your father dying at 14. You know, I'm really interested in the fact that, that your father did die at 14 because I know um, my daughter, Heather, uh, her brother died at 14, and I know some other teens, and they don't talk about it that much, and I'm really interested that you've been able to, to bring that out. Well, you know, it's interesting that you said that because it's taken me – and. It's an important thing that, you know, when you guys were talking about how, um, you know, how parents lose a child and how children are, you know, that you need to kind of be aware of the other children in the family, and especially teenagers because of so many developmental issues. But until recently, and when I say recently because it happened so long ago, um, about 10, 15 years, it took me a long time to kind of really be able to kind of integrate it into my life. Um, <clears throat> my dad got sick when I was five. He had a major, massive heart attack and one of the first 100 um, open heart surgeries in the country. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> yeah, so he was sick when I was li- My whole life was about worrying whether or not, you know, that, you know, the whole, like, anxiety of will he die. And I'm sure a lot of your listeners who have, are dealing with terminal illness, it becomes a pattern in their life where they kind of are always waiting or worrying about something bad happening. Um, so your father wasn't totally active uh, for most of your life? He was quieter? Most, or how You did know, it? he was active. Um, you know, I think in my mind he was active. But compared to what he was like before that, no. Mm-hmm. Um, he was able to get up and go to work, but there was always that issue of don't upset your father, you know, don't make him, you know, worried about anything. Um, and that the, the messages I got were, you know, he went through this major open heart surgery, he wasn't supposed to make it. So every day was this, oh, will it happen today? Will it happen tomorrow? Now, Corey, let me ask you, are you an only child? No. Oh, you have other siblings. Okay. I have other siblings. However, they are 10 and 7 years older than me. Okay. So they were much, they were, you know, they were teenagers when he got sick. Uh Uh-huh. And they dealt with it. Um, Very, in my memories, it was very difficult for them. 
And because I was so young at that time, it just became part of my existence. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, by the time I became a teenager, um, you know, in my mind I was thinking, he'll be fine. You know, nothing's going to happen to him. You know, about six or seven years later, nothing's going to happen to him. He'll be fine. And what happened was I went away to camp. And he was, I was there for two months, and he was supposed to pick me up that day. And he called me that morning. It was in, we lived in Long Island, and it, the camp was in Connecticut. And he called me up that morning, and he said, you know what, Corey? I just went to the doctor. They said everything was fine. I got a clean bill of health, but I'm really tired. Would you mind? You know, I called your friend's parents. They're going to take you home. And by the time I got home two and a half years later, he had um, died in our house. Two and a half, uh, two and a half hours. hours later? Excuse me, met. two and a half hours later, yes. He had died in your yeah. house. Yes. So in some ways to me it was this long, drawn-out illness, but in some ways it was really very sudden. Well, um, and you know, Corey, we hear that a lot when we're talking to people about having someone that died of a terminal illness. They say, you know what, even though it's long and drawn-out, you always have hope. Mm-hmm. And 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 when and you always hold out that something that this is not going to happen and it still feels like a sudden death in many ways. And, and having the hope is such a good thing. I mean, having hope for the members because you know we all hear stories of people who do get better or go into remission for a slight period of time, mm-hmm. where the hope really gives them a lot of strength and a lot of time to be you know, with their family and really be together. Right. And I have a feeling from uh, hearing you talking, after I make this comment, we're going to have to go to break, but I um, have a feeling, Corey, hearing you talk about your dad because you were the youngest in the family and he Mm -hmm. was probably not quite up to speed all the time that you were probably pretty darn close to him. I was very, very close to him. I would think so. I can imagine that he must have been a a great joy to him in his life. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. He bought a few years, didn't he? He did more than they expected. They really thought within a year he wouldn't live past one or two years, but he lived, I want to say, another seven or eight years longer. Wow. <clears throat> which which was amazing with the, the mm-hmm. surgery. And I was saying to Corey, uh, he died when you were 14, that I thought as we went to break he must have been the light of his life because uh, you can imagine he probably wasn't feeling all that great all the time and to have a child around is always such a joy. Mm-hmm. We spent a lot of time together. We spent a lot, a lot of time together. And it was interesting because um, when, you know, and as I became a teenager and when he died, it was an interesting thing because um, I did not, and, you know, I was brought up Jewish, and part of the ritual of of death is sitting Shiva. Right. And I refused to go through any of those um, ceremonies. Now, that's where the family sits for, what, um, seven days? Oh, seven days? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and people I, come and visit. Yes. And I, being 14 years old and developmentally feeling like the last thing I want to do is feel different or feel any difference in any of my peers. In fact, I didn't even want to tell them what happened. Um, and one of my very closest friends said to me one day, you know, I'm really tired of you coming into school with a big smile on your face that everything was wonderful when I know it isn't. So part of what really has driven me to work with um, people who have been through um, traumatic grief and loss is that, especially developmentally, is 
really to kind of access and give them access to their feelings, which many times, um, because of so many reasons, they don't know how to deal with. And um, I, I especially, um, you know, have have really, really worked on really normalizing something where I have never, I was never, ever, ever told you should see a therapist or you should talk to somebody. And in fact, I probably wasn't in therapy until well into my twenties. Now tell us about your mom dying when you were 19. So you were 14 and your father dies. You're coming home from camp mm-hmm. and uh, he told you that he didn't feel well enough to pick you up and then mm-hmm. you get home from camp and, and he has died at home. Yeah. So you went through that at 14. Then tell us about your mom. Well, interestingly, my parents were very close. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked, uh, when my dad went through open heart surgery, my mother was a smoker. And she said that she made a pact with God that if he stopped smoking, I mean, if he got through the um, surgery okay, she would quit smoking. And she did. And the day he died, she took up smoking. Wow. And um, I would say two years later, she was diagnosed with lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, so and when you were 16, she was mm-hmm. diagnosed with, do you remember that? Oh, yes. It was, was you know, she had, they thought it was they thought it was very devastating, and they thought it was pneumonia, pleurisy, the whole thing. And I'll never forget that she went in for a biopsy, and my mother was beautiful. She used to model when she was a teenager, and she went into the hospital. And I remember she had the hospital gown on. This is like one of my last um, memories of her prior to being my idea of her being sick. And she took the belt, the strap from her overnight bag and she belted it around her waist and I remember looking at her going God even in a nightdress she looks great (laughs) and then she went in for the biopsy and we're all sitting around you know in the waiting room my aunts and uncles and you know you you think about you know kind of bedside manner but the surgeon walks out looks at us and said we had to take her her, uh, one and a half of her lungs out she had a lung cancer and walked walked out of the room oh my gosh that's shocking and, um, yeah, and I was a freshman. I had graduated high school year early, mm-hmm. so I had just finished my um, freshman year of college. It was that summer, and they said she only had um, two months to live, I mean, a month to live. Oh, my gosh. But she ended up living two years later, believe it or not. But um, it was it was devastating to me, especially because I had never grieved the loss of my dad, mm-hmm. and um, I wasn't you know, and I was sort of like an only only child. My brothers were older, and I didn't know how I was going to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Well, and you must have been thinking, okay, this is so unfair. I've, I've my mother, my I've lost my dad, and now I'm losing my mom. It was probably. I remember thinking, and I remember feeling completely dissociated. It felt I felt like I was I had experienced I was experiencing um, PTSD symptoms. I felt Which is post-traumatic stress for those yes. our folks out there. And what would those symptoms be? Well, I couldn't sleep, um, and I felt like I was watching myself. I had it like an out-of-body experience where I felt like I was watching myself go through the motions. Mm-hmm. And I kept kind of re-experiencing that moment, you know, when I was told that she was sick or when I first saw her, 
in the hospital after that. And it was it was pretty devastating. It was probably the most devastating moment. When my dad died, my mother was there. Mm-hmm. Well, my mother was, when I told my mother was going to die, I really didn't feel, even though my, I have a very close family, it just, I, I really felt as though somebody had cut my body in half. Well, so you were, felt, you were about 17 then or 16, did you say? I was 17. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, incredible. So then you had two years to kind of, would you say adjust, or what would you call it? Well, it was interesting because I was in school in Massachusetts, and she would not let me stay home from school. And so I had to go to school. Um, I had to go away to college, and I came home all the time. But she was home for, um, she was in a hospice for a little while, and then she was home, and then she was back in the hospice. Um, And... It was never really an adjustment. Again, I had never really, I wasn't sure how I was feeling. I had never um, really been able to face the idea that she was going to die, even though everyone was telling me. Because she kept telling me, I'm not going to. I'm telling you, I'm not going to. And I started believing her. Right. You're right. And so when it did happen, it happened pretty, again, pretty quickly. And it sounds like you wanted to stay at home with her. You didn't want to go back to school. Is that right? You know, Heidi, I did not want to go back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my whole, all my relatives were saying, Corey, go to school. Don't stay home. You don't want to stay home. Go to school. Your mother wants you to go to school. And it was very hard because I really wasn't there. I mean, I was physically there. Mm-hmm. But emotionally, I was completely um, disassociated. Um, one thing that I had shared with Heidi a few days ago was that um, my uh, m- when my mother died, I was in at school. Believe it or not, I was at school, and it was on Mother's Day. Oh, oh my! Yeah, and um, and how did you hear the news? That I called. <laughs> I called because I knew she was sick, and I was going to go home that day. And I called, and she was at a, a hospice, hospice, and one of the nuns there had told me. And um, it was, it was probably, it was very devastating. But I went home, and my friends on my floor, who I lived with for two years, had no. They were shocked because they had no idea my mother was sick. Huh. Um, and part of what I did was I put on this persona of just happy, happy, happy all the time. Which I think is so normal for teenagers. I hear parents all the time saying, our kids don't look like they're grieving. And it's like you said, Corey, you don't want to look different than your classmates. You want to fit in. You don't want to look different. You don't want to feel different. You don't want people looking at you and saying, especially when you're a teenager, I'm sorry. You don't want to feel as though people don't want to be around you. And part of it is very adaptive. Part of it is kind of keeping people, keeping yourself insulated with people, keeping yourself in um, connected to people. Um, but but then if it goes on too long, it, it it's not a great coping skill because you're not able to really process it, talk about it, and go through the rituals that people need to go through. Well, you know, Corey, you are a real survivor. Corey, for our listeners out there that would like to get a hold of you and see you as a therapist, 
Um, how do they do that? They just have to call my number. Um, and should I? Do you want me to sure. say it right? Sure, they can give okay. it on there if you like. Um, 415-646-0550. Now, do you do any, are you interested in doing any telephone therapy or do you, do you just strictly stick with face-to-face? I pretty much stick with face-to-face. Um, I'll do telephone therapy if I've, if I've um, seen somebody several times, um, but the initial sessions are um, face-to-face. Okay, and uh, so we you can also get in touch with us through the grief blog, um, and we'll get in touch with Corey for you uh, or give you her email or whatever if you want to uh, get in touch with her. And uh, we'll also certainly be willing to help you, and I'm sure Corey and Heidi will be too, to find somebody in your area who specializes in grief and loss because we always suggest that you do it. if you're doing grief therapy, that you make sure that you're with a counselor who understands the field, wouldn't you both say? Absolutely. Yeah, you need to have someone that's a good fit for you. If you're sitting across from someone and you're not comfortable and you don't feel like it's working, then you need to find another therapist. Absolutely. I would. I always tell people, you know, if you went to a medical doctor and you didn't feel, um, you know, if you went and got your eyes checked or you went and got your blood pressure checked, you wouldn't, and you didn't feel comfortable, you would find somebody else. It's the same thing with therapists. Absolutely, especially in grief and loss, because it, it really mm-hmm. is a specialized area. You know, uh, people say, well, we've all suffered loss. Uh, we have, but it's a little different when you've really uh, a bit more traumatic loss. Somebody like Corey, whose father died when she was 14 and mother died uh, when she was, I mean, your father died when you were 17, right? And your mother my, died when you were my, 19? My dad died when I was um, 14. My mom oh, yeah. died when I was 19. 19, right. Okay. So um, tell us how you survived. Tell us, uh, you know, what you've done. Uh, give some tips for our folks out there. Oh, absolutely. Um, the biggest thing is to stay connected with the people in your life who are meaningful to you. It is the biggest thing I could possibly say and the one thing I'm always assessing for with people are to make sure that you stay connected, that you don't um, use that time as a way of kind of isolating yourself Mm -hmm. from everybody. Um, And, you know, it really is an important thing to think about what, if that person was alive right now, what would they want? They would want to... They would want you living um, a happy and productive life. The last thing they would want, and I know it from my parents, the last thing they would want, and my mother said this to me, was for me not to live a happy life because that's all she ever wanted for me. Now, Corey, um, tell me when you your mother's died, your, your dad's dead, you're feeling scared, you're feeling mm-hmm. concerned, your roommates didn't know that your mother was even sick. What happened to you? Did you have to make some kind of a turn in that in that space, or what happened with you? I kind of threw myself. I went back to school, and I kind of threw myself into um, working with people. I felt, I really felt, you know, in some of the research that I'm very interested in doing is on stress-related growth. Because I really felt like this was my opportunity to help people who in some ways weren't as fortunate as I was. I felt that even though my parents died when I was so young, I was very fortunate that I was, I, I felt so loved by them. And that I really felt like people go through these, this, go through grief, go, you know, people die in their lives 
and that I really felt like I was somebody who can really help them move ahead, especially teenagers. Now, when so you, you were when you were in school, were you in counseling? No. When well, I had, what happened? Your mother died, and and then you must have been depressed for a little while or something. Or you know, it's interesting. Or? It's very interesting because in retrospect, I was, but my depression sort of turned into sort of, I would say, more active behaviors. I took up running. I ran like 17 miles a day, and at the time I thought I was doing pretty well, honestly. In retrospect, I saw that um, if I had been in counseling at at that time, that I might have become a little more um, aware. Did you become anorexic at all with the running? Um, no. You didn't lose a lot of weight because some of I actually, I did, but I didn't, you know, and that's very typical. Um, I did lose a lot of weight, but it was kind of, in some ways, it it wasn't over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that that is pretty typical, especially when, um, um, people do get, that becomes their coping mechanism. Well, and it sounds like one thing you were really doing is active grieving. And giving that to others and you know, helping others, and we're seeing that people that are further along in their journey and are healing, that's one of the ways they heal is through active grieving and giving and doing something for other people. Like you said, you were working with other people at this point. And this is when I started, actually, after I went, um, started going, I went back to school. I went, I went into therapy not because I thought I needed to um, work on my issues with my parents. I thought I was fine. Um, was because of other personal issues that I needed to deal with, interpersonal issues with the relationship I was in years ago. And from that, um, going in, I realized that I had never really processed a lot of this stuff. Now, this was a relationship with a boyfriend? Yes, years ago. That's, I'm wondering if, if it sounds like you may have put your grief on hold. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm wondering, you know, I'm thinking of teenagers and wanting to fit in and wanting to appear like everything is fine and you're like every other teenager. I think sometimes teens end up doing that. It's very, very common. And, you know, I work with a lot of families, and they bring in their children, and inevitably I would say one out of every, two out of every five times a parent will say they act like nothing happened or um they, they're going about their business or they don't want to talk about it. And my response is, you know, that's right. They really don't right now. They're, they're coping in the best way they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, some people never want to deal with it in, that, in mm-hmm. the same way of talking about it. I know uh, Heather, who had a sister that was 14, she made a book, uh, a picture book of Scott this year. And oh, wow. It was last Christmas or something uh, and gave it to us. It's a great book. All the, she went through all the pictures of him. But she doesn't talk about it. And I said to her the other day, oh, Heather, you want to call into the show? And she said, absolutely not. And my mother <laughs> keeps asking her for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> she said, it's you and Heidi's thing. It's not my thing. But you know what? I think that, like you're saying, Mom, sometimes teenagers and sometimes people look like they're not, you know, coping. I mean, look like they're not grieving when in their room or in the privacy of their own home or by themselves they are grieving. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what's going on internally with people either. Absolutely. Or they're not, or they're doing what Heather did. They're 
they're processing it in a different way. Right. Now, not to get personal, and I don't know how far you want to go with this relationship issue, but I'm very intrigued by it, Corey. <laughs> and I'm intrigued by it because of this reason, because maybe the reason you reacted to that person had something to do with your losses and, you know, attachment or whatever. I don't know. But it's interesting what gets us into therapy, and maybe that's not the real reason we're there. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things that I have noticed um, and I'm sure many of your listeners have noticed is that one of the things that I notice that I do is that I stick with things. I And I always, you know, I, I used to joke around like, you know, I'm almost tenacious sometimes and I'm always like, never say die. And I used to laugh about it and one day it struck me Boy, that's an interesting comment that I make when I stick with things, whether it's figuring something out or, or you know, riding a motorcycle or doing whatever it is. Um, and I realize that it's because in some ways, because I had been through these long-term deaths, so to speak, that I couldn't let these things go. So that could, that could almost be your motto, I never say die, right? With yes. both of your parents, you never said die. No, never say, and it it really, in some ways, has has done me well. Um, right. So, you know, it's an interesting it's an interesting process, especially around and especially with attachment kinds of things and people too. I keep friends forever. I never, I will. I have friends from when I was itty bitty, um, and that re, and to get back to that relationship, part of what happened was I met this person right six months after my mother died and um, realized a year or two later that I didn't want to be take, you know, I, I didn't need that anymore. I didn't, it was sort of my individuation with my parents. It never happened because I was so young. happened with this relationship and the processes that I was going through with this relationship never happened developmentally with my parents. Yeah, it's so interesting not having parents as a teenager because, you know, mm -hmm. we rebel against our parents, and when we do things that we're proud of, we can't wait to, we, we want to make our parents proud. I mean, a lot of our behavior is to get some kind of either a positive or a negative reaction from our parents. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things we talked to about, Heidi, in our new book, Teen Grief Relief, mm -hmm. is, um, is the idea that there is a risk for sex drugs, that kind of thing for mm -hmm. teens, to numb the pain and then the sex to connect. Absolutely. So, so there are some, some risk behaviors in that age group. Absolutely. And that it's kind of important to even if, even if you know, when you talk to parents to kind of, even if they can't, if their kid doesn't want to go into therapy or they're feeling worried that they just let the child know that they understand that, you know, that they're going through such a painful time and that even if they don't want to talk about it, that they're still there. And for them, you know, for parents to be able to say, even though, um, you know, or, or even friends to be able to say to a teenager or relatives, whoever's there, I know you may not be able to talk about this right now. I know that maybe some things that you're doing are because of this and that I hope that, you know, you'll be able to talk about this and just even acknowledge the fact that they're going through something. Right. I, I love that, Corey. Even yeah. though you may not be able to talk about it, I'm here for you if you need me. Mm-hmm. That's so right, powerful. Yeah. Well, what was it you and Heidi were saying about uh, what the parents should say? I like that. 
that they really should be just, you know, acknowledge what's going on and say, I know you're hurting, and even though you might you may feel that you can't come to me, that, you know, I'm here for you and whatever you tell me is okay, and just to let them acknowledge that they understand how they're hurting too. Keeping the communication open is so key, mm-hmm. and, and Terry Patterson, who's a professor at USF as well, he and I wrote a whole article on how to keep communication open with teens, and it's on the grief blog if anyone needs advice and information on that. That's and, very important. And, and uh, Heidi and Corey are talking about the, the University of San Francisco in San Francisco, California, where I live and where Corey lives. And I wanted to, again, give you her telephone number if you're in the Bay Area and you're interested in getting a great uh, grief and loss therapist. The number is 415-646-0550. Now, one of the things I want to talk about, a little bit about, what if I'm a mom and um, and I've got a 14-year-old and uh, I hear Corey talking and thinking, wow, therapy is going to be really good for this 14-year-old. And my 14-year-old says, you've got to be kidding. Well, I, that's a really good question. And, you know, sometimes everyone has their own process that they go through. And sometimes people aren't ready to be in therapy. Sometimes, and this is all ages, but especially teenagers, sometimes they're coping in the best way they can right now and that, you know what, that going to therapy isn't the, the, the best option for them. And there's so many other things they can do. They can join a support group. They can, you know, there are definitely blogs, just like your blog, that people can um, can um, become involved with. There are many different options, and sometimes individual therapy isn't always the only option or even the best option. And, Absolutely, and I've got to say one one more thing, Corey. If parents out there listening are worried about their teens and thinking, you know what, I don't know if this behavior is normal teenage grief or if I should be concerned, then those parents should go see a therapist, someone like Corey, mm-hmm. and say, this is what my teen is doing, and the professionals can help you decipher whether or not this is dangerous behavior or is it just normal teen grief. And the other thing you can do also is if, if you've got a friend who you think is a really good parent and has really great kids, mm-hmm. talk to them about what's going on with your child and, and test it out and see if they feel like it's normal teen behavior. That's the great That's great. And, and, you know, they are ministers and friends and there are all sorts of people to, to talk to about it. I think the biggest concern is if a teen gets isolated and doesn't have a support group at all, doesn't have any friends, doesn't have peers they're talking to, is, mm-hmm. is isolated. You don't want to, that's when you, you don't need to be concerned. You don't want to see your teen isolated by themselves. And I tell, I tell, you know, the one thing I always talk about, and this is the biggest thing, and um, with anybody I work with who has gone through um, any type of um, death, is that there is no right way to grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been tons of books about how to grieve and what the stages are. People grieve in different ways, mm-hmm. and that we need to respect that and understand that um, that how they're doing it, as long as they are not, you know, um, suicidal or going to hurt, you know, going to doing such at-risk behaviors to put themselves at risk, that it's kind of okay to let your children, you know, your teenagers experience their feelings in the way they can and the way they need to. And if they're walking around with headphones on, that may be what they're, how they're dealing with it. Absolutely. Right. Like you said, we all grieve in different ways, and we all have our different time frames that we grieve in. Yeah, I think that's really important because here Corey's uh, father died when she was 14, and you really dealt with his death. What age were you when you went into therapy, 24 oh, God. or something? Later than that, 26. 
26. Yeah. So you know, it, you know, it's it's never too late and never too early, and it, you know, life just goes on the way it does, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that what usually will bring people in are other issues, just like you said, Gloria, with um, um, whether or not, you know, it will bring a teenager and, you know, they will do at-risk behaviors and maybe have to go see a therapist. Or you get older and there's other issues in your life, and sometimes that's the perfect time to work on things. So, so Corey, do you think losing both your parents has changed who you are today as a person? Oh, goodness, that's a really good question. I think... It hasn't changed. I think that it's in some ways um, enhanced. Mm-hmm. It's made me stronger, um, and it has, in some ways, I feel like I have a great relationship with my parents now. I could really, I have learned to integrate them into my life in a way where I have them with me all the time. And I say things, all, and sometimes, you know, my mom was 36 when I was born. So she was sort of my age when I got to the point where I was able to see what she looked like. And I look in the mirror now, and I go, oh, my God, it's my mother. And it makes me, where it used to make me feel terrible, it makes me feel great. I love how you've got that continuing bond and you've integrated your parents into your life. That's so important. I thank you. It's a, it's a very important thing to be able to do. Now, before we close the show, Corey, and it's been wonderful having you on, do you have any little phrase or thought or anything that you say that you think uh not like to share or advice? With? You know, it's, it's so interesting. It's the one phrase. It's a phrase that my mother used to say. And what it really has always meant to me was that no matter what, um, no matter how you're feeling, you're, it's going to be different. It's not going to feel so bad all the time. And the thing I always say, and I say it to myself and I say it to uh, my clients are, and this too shall pass. You may not feel it today. You may not feel it tomorrow. But trust in the fact that life, you know, and the universe is ever-changing, and this will change. This will change for you. Uh, so, And you will feel better. Yes, you will feel better. Well, Corey, thanks so much for being on the show. Heidi's told me so much about you, and uh, it's been delightful. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.